Hello and welcome to the Hot House Transplants podcast. I am your host, Matt Duffy. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are talking with the men and women who contributed to the Hot House Transplants book released back in 1997, over 25 years ago. You can see our website, hothousetransplants.com. That's where all the episodes are going to be released, the past ones, the future ones. I would encourage you, if you haven't, go back and listen to the first couple of episodes of the podcast. It's going to tell you a lot about why we're doing the podcast, and especially it's going to tell you about what the original Hot House Transplants book was about and why we did it in the first place. I hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you so much again for listening. Well, I appreciate you doing this, even though this is our round two from... I tried to look back. I think we tried in September or something. It's been months uh, ago, yeah. And it turned out I didn't uh, have the Zoom membership I thought I had and have since got my unlimited program. And so we shouldn't (laughs) shouldn't run out of Zoom minutes this time, which is nice. But I didn't know you could run out of Zoom minutes, but I know. Yeah, neither did I until we were in the middle of the podcast. And then it was like, you have five minutes left. And so that's all good. But yeah, I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to getting to do this for a long time with you. And, and I think primarily because we grew up together. So uh, as I have been processing through life over the last many years, and as I've been talking to people, it, it's become so much more interesting, I think, to hmm. me to look at the past. And um, and I guess part old. it's partially <laughs> because we're old. Um, but you know, it's partially to analyze it, but it's, but it's mostly because understanding so much of who we are and why we do the things we do. And, and I think really trying to grow and, and do better in life in whatever way you're trying to do. Right. So much is coming out of whatever, you know, we grew up with and and what we experienced and for better or for worse. So it's been very exciting to look back and talk with people and then, um, kind of have these moments of oh wow that makes so much sense so this will be very interesting because we have so much uh so much so many ties but yes um as we did before you know the basic question is always the same in the beginning which is if you could share just sort of some snapshots of what your homeschool experience is like i i hope in the last six months you've had a little more time to (laughs) i've honestly i probably forgot the ones i gave you last time Uh, um, all right. So my, um, my kind of main memory, like of just the being at home part was like, um, sitting on this one particular easy chair, trying to go through math problems. And for some reason, wanting to do it all in my head as best I could and only use one page, no matter what. Uh, (laughs) so that's one of my enduring memories. Um, but as far as my impression of homeschooling, like my overall impression at that time was good. Um, as I move forward in life, I th- I still think there's really good parts of it. Um, and I'm trying to, I've also tried to like analyze like, all right, what about me is based on that sort of upbringing? What about me is just who I am? Right. Um, so I definitely think there's things that I could have been challenged in more that may have uh, allowed things to stay weak. Um, and then there's other th- things I think were really good. So I just, I just remember we didn't do a lot of work. Like <laughs> I would yeah. I'd do three hours a day maybe. And I would stretch that out a lot and I'd whine about it. Um, and I'd play a lot of Legos and I was always concerned 
that I, I couldn't possibly be doing enough. And then, you know, when we graduated and went to junior college, we were fine, like education wise. Yeah. So. So just that endure, like one of the most enduring things I remember is like kids are sitting in school for hours and hours and doing hours of homework when the actual learning they're doing is like two to three hours, Yeah. you know, and that's kind of sad. And a lot of it's just to justify, you know, how much the school charges or how many seats or how many butts are in seats or whatever else. So, you know, it's the actual learning process the the part about learning things from the school books is pretty short. Now, there's a lot of other learning that goes on in that same period of time. So that's kind of the question of like, what did we miss? Right. So. Am I answering any of your questions? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you're you're sort of getting to the heart of a ton of different stuff all, all yeah, very, yeah. very quickly. Because um, it's funny, I, re I was rereading your original story. And, and, and so it's funny because you break up some of these things. But you, you can tell when you bring them up, it's it's like, well, these are things that people say could be a downside or these are things that could right. be an upside. So it's that's what I love is, OK, then 25, 26 years later. Right. What do you think now with the maturity, the exposure, having your own kids, all that kind of thing? So right. let's if we could, let's because I forget how quickly I know so much of your story, but people that are going to listen have no clue about the story. Right. So what would be really cool would be. Do you remember why your parents started homeschooling in the first place? Did they ever uh, talk to you about that? Yeah, I think when I was younger, I thought it was because my brother had some dyslexia and things like that. Okay. Um, I also knew it was our relationship with our parents together, trying this grand experiment, you know, type of thing. Um, and then I think later, my mom told me it was actually also about me, where I, had, I was in this like Montessori kindergarten for half a year. And she said something like I would come home and say, I don't want to go to school. And she'd ask me why. And I could only express it in I see black. So <laughs> there was something that she took from that where it seemed miserable enough where she was inspired in part by that to not have us in school. Um, was that a vision issue or was it just that was the best way you could describe yeah. like an angst or a frustration? Yeah. Or, I mean, I, I like I remember one being. I was in a kindergarten for half a year. They moved me up to first grade and I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember just being, you know, destroyed by spelling tests that I had no clue what was oh, going yeah. on. Yeah. And because Montessori is really unstructured. So they're like, oh, you're smart. Let's move you up. And then don't really, I don't remember how much structured teaching there was. And there's a lot of wandering around thinking like, oh, I'm doing these tables. They're cool. But I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so I think it was just that, being cast adrift there and then i'd had one when i was a kid they were still doing corporal discipline and i was trying to help out a teacher one time um chasing after some other kids and they thought i was doing something naughty and the principal slapped me a bunch of times and so it was like funky stuff that i'm like i, I don't never, know how much that wounded me i never heard <laughs> that story that's yeah so as this little righteous you know five-year-old who's trying to do the right thing getting slapped for it it was uh you know probably traumatizing um but yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, but so I, at least part of it was like she felt that there was something not right about that experience. She felt there was something not right about Jason being brilliant, but being scattered. And so wanted something more tailored to, to that. So due to the fact that I wasn't alive at the time, I don't remember <laughs> when our parents actually met, but our parents met. I think when when you were 
I was two is what I've been told. So you were very, so they, I think so. And yeah. the, the only reason I say that is because um, my mom explained that <clears throat> there was this movement for a variety of different reasons between a, a variety of different parents. Right. And, at, but as they collaborated together, it seemed like all of them began to move the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and for, and for sometimes slightly different reasons, but then there was a lot of um, common reasons. And one of them mm-hmm. was the, the, the general different ways we all learn. So right. it'd be interesting. And then I think this, the spiritual side as well, wanting to teach their kids in ways they felt were true, you know, very much that surprisingly, that was the number one reason my mom said they decided to homeschool, which I didn't yeah. know. It was, yeah. it was purely, she felt like God was moving them. And I think she felt like probably your parents and others that, this was sort of a movement of the spirit to right. go that direction. So, right. So then they started the homeschooling. It was with you. And then Rachel came along probably. Yeah. Oh, you were in kindergarten. So then Rachel was either a baby at this time when, when they started. Yeah. She or... was, she was uh, three and a half years younger than me. So she was probably just okay. starting to learn a few things when we started homeschool. Okay. So even though in the book you sort of describe some of your experiences, what I would find fascinating is looking back now, what are some of the things that stood out to you in your homeschool experience? So I'm really thinking of, you know, sort of the uh, one to 16, because I know around then is you also sort of doing the junior college, I think. So I'm thinking sort of like before you started yeah. doing junior college classes, what are some of the things that now you would look back and that, that stand out to you for bad right. or for good? Uh, I mean, definitely, I, get, I was, my mom let me get away with being lazy on some stuff. So my own lack of drive was interesting. When I got into a group setting, even if it was just our group, right, where we get together with two or three families, then there was someone else to kind of compete with in a way or, or be responsible to. So I tend to work harder in that setting. Um so yeah, I was. I found when I got into a classroom setting with the teacher, I was motivated very differently than when mom was there. And mom loves me, so it doesn't matter if I try to weasel out of doing my math that I could have done. Um. So there was a lot of stuff I identify now that with my daughter who's diagnosed with ADD, I think I had right. So there was a lot of wishing I could start a project and taking hours to get moving. You know, <laughs> two hours to begin the first sentence type of thing, and like mom. I'm stupid. And she's like, you're not stupid. Just get going. Um, but I now recognize that in my, my daughter and she's been diagnosed and medicated. And I'm like, hmm, I, maybe I needed some of that. Um, but it may also be that it's just a little, little bit less directed or a little bit less uh, structured. Right. So because you have to, depending on how your parents run it, some of the things you do are more on your own, uh, own speed or own structure. Um, so, yeah. I remember a lot of like group classes, my mom teaching us, you know, chemistry or art or, you know, things like that. Um, trying to remember what else. Um, and the cool thing was like being able to go places and travel for, for school, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Taking it with us and going places was cool. I loved if we wanted to go somewhere, like if Josh and I wanted to go to Knott's Spray Farm or something, we could get our homework done or our work done a couple of days in advance. Yeah. Yep. Didn't take very long. And then you just jet out and go mid- midweek. Um, so the flexibility was always cool. So I, I and, and I brought up that same point. It's fascinating to me that uh, suddenly we're motivated and we can, we can complete a week's worth of school in about four hours right. when we're motivated, exactly. <laughs> but, but somehow it can take us, 
you know, all day to do one thing. And it's really not exactly. our fault. We're just victims here anyways. Exactly. But then suddenly, oh, oh, we could do that. Done. All right. We get the rest of the week off. And... <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So properly motivated, I could work very fast. Yeah. Um, and then I had a lot of time for my own interest. I'm, I'm, I don't think entirely introverted, but I have a lot of like, you know, I would build things. I'd build Legos a lot. I would uh, make things out of stone or, or metal or whatever. So creating and crafting and building was always really important to me. And so I had a lot of time of self-directed tinkering, basically. So I think that's part of who I am and that's important to me. Um, or it may have just been driven into me by being alone a lot. Uh, Jason well, would be making things out of like, he'd be making robots, you know? Yeah. And so we didn't like play together, really. Um, Rachel and I more so, she would like, we'd be building things, doing art together, whatever else. But it was, yeah, sorry, it was fascinating because a lot of the, um, I guess you'd call them crafts. A lot of the crafts and activities you got into, my brothers took on and then they would bring them home. Yeah. I remember a lot, like soapstone was one of those, you were started yeah, yeah. carving soapstone. And then next thing you know, my brothers are carving soapstone at our house. And I think they, they tended to see a lot of the things that you did and they, they, they liked those and then they started doing those. And so there was, yeah. there was this commonality between the two houses where things that Mike got into, we all of a sudden were into as well. <laughs> and then and vice versa, I think. Um, probably. I, yeah. I think your dad was reading your your brothers, the uh, Dragon King books. That's what got me into them. Oh, yes. Um, Highland music, like the Clancy brothers and things like that came from your family. Yeah. So I've met like one other guy where I'm like, dude, were you raised with us? Because we had such an insular upbringing influenced yeah. by very disparate things right so when you find someone that meshes with that you're like dang where did you come from sir <laughs> just because i feel like this is the only opportunity to say this on the face of the planet <laughs> i just so happened yesterday to buy the an original tommy makeham clancy brothers on nice. vinyl live <laughs> i was very happy when i saw that at the record store yesterday and bought it and and uh got into a long discussion with the guy there about growing up listening to Clancy Brothers and the exactly. memories. So Beautiful. yes, Beautiful. wonderful things. We are fairly weird. I, I find that the you're right. The exposure we all had was right. fairly large, which I'm grateful for. But yeah, and that, what I loved about homeschool, I think one of the best things is like your mom is very smart and intellectual, and so we got exposed to very intellectual topics. We were discussing theology and worldviews and pretty complex subject as though we could understand them right from a pretty early age. And so that was cool. Um, and so thinking was really encouraged. Um, you were, you were really rewarded for having interesting thoughts and bringing things up. Um, so I think that's already good. What do you, what do you mean by being, what do you, what do you mean by being rewarded for? I, I mean, just by attention, by people, you know, interacting with that, by people telling you that you were like, wow, that's really interesting, whatever. Right. So, oh, okay. It was encouraged. It's not like yeah. you were given something specific. It was just, that was encouraged. Right, right. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, there, yeah, there was, you were never, like, squashed down for having an, an independent thought. Right? Um, so I really appreciated that part of it, I think. And then just learning to be very critical and cynical about thoughts. Um, learning how to break things down. Learning that the way things are presented aren't always accurate. Mm -hmm. um, I think I said this last time, but one of my foundational books was the whole How to Lie with Statistics. Yep. The idea that how you present information affects how it's perceived. Um, and that's just such a valuable tool for life. Because you know? <laughs> oh, most yeah. 
most everything is packaged to market us something, you know, whether right. it's a political party or, or, a, or a product and they package it in a way that makes it look good. Um, but the reality is almost always different. So, yeah. It's funny that, 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 that very idea right there is, is huge. I think it's always been huge, but I, I think a lot of people have been talking about that same thing just because mm-hmm. of what's gone on the culture the last, well, it's been forever, but I mean, I think as, as we're having the kids ourselves and they're being influenced by what mm-hmm. they're hearing, that idea of teaching them to hear something and critically think about it, process through it, mm-hmm. evaluate, does this really make sense? Does, does it not make sense? Does it somewhat or not at all, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then, and, and hearing different perspectives and then filtering through that is an art form. It seems like nowadays it's not taught. Yeah. So it's neat that you had that. And I, I think that was huge for our parents to, to teach us mm-hmm. how to hear critically and think critically. So. All right. And I think like my mom, especially, I think always has a counter establishment streak where she's always looking at like, Hmm, what could this actually be? So I think I that passed down through me a little bit. I mean, be careful of that because sometimes the more general thought is true, right? So, so you have to be critical of even the critical thoughts. But, <laughs> um, do do but you yeah, find so. that that makes you? Do you find that that makes you more um, suspicious or stubborn when mm. you're when you're when you're hearing new ideas or? Or having a discussion with somebody about something right. you don't necessarily agree with? I'm really open to, like, I love hearing people's thoughts. Okay. Internally, I'll be having all those thoughts. Okay. Um, and that's the same if I come across a, an idea that I think is interesting. My first thought is, how is it wrong? Or right. how do I look at this, right? Um, but I love bringing out what people are talking about and discussing it. Like, um, it doesn't it doesn't scare me to hear someone else has a different opinion. It doesn't, you know... Um, but if you want me to change my viewpoint on something that affects life, like how I live, then I'm going to be pretty stubborn. Like the, the right. bar for how that changes is pretty high. Right. So if someone's like, oh, here's a new theological idea. And, it, and, you know, I think we should view this theological point in this particular way. I'm like, you know, for thousands of years, people have debated this. I'm it's not going to change it on a conversation like this would require study, you know, so I'll shelve right. that, you know. So there's certain things you just don't touch based on how important they are to living. Um, another thing is you can dabble with because it doesn't matter so much, you know. What I mean, right. um, but I'm I'm very stubborn, and at times, like I've I've been in a university class where a teacher was going out for our faith and trying to mess with it, and all I could do was hang on stubbornly to the fact that I knew there's something wrong, but I didn't know what. And later I could figure out the error, or you know, like the logical kind of fallacies. But so, you know, a very smart person can convince you of something even if they're wrong. And so some yeah. amount of stubbornness is appropriate, I think. <laughs> but I, I yeah, do, I, I think my brain thrills to and enjoys picking things apart and thinking of it differently. So I have to be very careful of that where I'm not just a uh, devil's advocate for the sake of it, you know? Yeah. Did you end up, because you had mentioned this earlier that you didn't do a lot with Jason, your older brother. You did a lot more with Rachel. Yeah. Was that... Was that fairly true throughout the homeschool experience or did that change as you got older? Um, well, I think even with the schooling part, we do some group things together, but primarily the education was different. Jason was really far ahead in some areas. I was in my own little space. Rachel was in her own space. 
And so, um, so what we were learning was different, but some of the activities were shared, I would say. But Jason is just like when he turned 30, I was surprised because I've been thinking of him as 30 for about five years. Yeah. Because he was always living. He was like his full height by 13. He was, you know, building robots. He wanted to start businesses. So we were close in age, but just diametrically different in interests. Yeah. Um, so we didn't do the same things. There was a lot of me watching him do things and saying, can I try? Can I try? And he'd be like, J -j just a second for like 15 minutes. And then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, which is natural on, you know, younger brother stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Different planes of existence. Yeah. It, it's funny because that, that kind of fits with what I'm remembering as you're talking that it, I remember people being around, but I don't remember having relationship with, mm -hmm. with people necessarily. Like I never, I never really had a relationship with Jason until, yeah. you know, 10 years ago. And it was yeah. because of, it was because of church ministry stuff, I guess a little longer, but, um, but I remember them being there, but I, I'm very fuzzy as far as who was where sometimes. So, and even, uh, it was like, you know, we had three kids on each family about the same age, but it was really your two brothers and I hung out a lot, mm -hmm. even though Chris is closer to Jason's age and Jason was just on his own plane doing his own thing. I mean, people enjoyed his company and would talk to him about stuff, but as far as like what we did, we were Chris, Josh and I were on the same strata kind of. Yeah. So, so it was interesting. So as things progressed, I'd say, you know, you're getting into junior high and high school. Do, do you remember starting to think bigger picture for your life, starting to look down the road at, you know, uh, college, future, employment, job? Do you remember when those sort of thoughts and questions and ideas started to be something that you were wrestling with or dealing with? Yeah, I remember very adamantly wanting to stay seven years old um, and held on to that as long as I could. Um, it was probably around 14 or so that I started getting worried about what I was going to do with life. Okay. And, uh, and I, you know, took a couple placement tests and I had no real clue. My, my life goals were, um, blacksmith, Lego designer, or, um, stuntman for medieval times. That was kind of, and, but I knew none of those were like really workable solutions. So, um, so I was concerned about what I would do for my life. So, <laughs> so I was, I was 16 when I ran into what I was going to do for my life. And that was just like, in part, it was just there. So I grabbed onto it with both hands, not not knowing that it would really suit my my strengths. But um, at the time, it was like a thing that pays some money that I don't look, you know, that looks like it might be interesting and I wouldn't be horrible at. I'll take it, you know. So, so wait, that was at 16. What was this that happened at 16? Or what did you run into? Uh, my dad had back surgery and I went with him to a physical therapy appointment. And I'm like, uh, how much can you make? And she, you know, said a number and I'm like, okay. And then that was my focus. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that that's where that's that originated. Yeah. It makes sense now that you say it, but I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it really suits a lot of my personality and my skill set and everything. Um, and there were things I was looking at, like, I mean, probably my weakest aspects, and I don't know if this is homeschooling or if this is me, would be like administrative things. Like I, mm -hmm. spelling was terrible and I was afraid of using phones and, you know, administration over other people was a foreign thing you know partly under socialized a little bit in some ways um so i the idea of like desk work or you know anything along those lines was terrifying um 
but yeah, therapy was something that I could kind of really connect with. So that's I, I'm, I'm envious because that's pretty neat that around 16, you saw something went, wow, that's it. I want to do that. And you did, you pursued right. it and that's what you do. And yeah, um, but it wasn't like the, the heavens opened and I'm like, this is the thing I was born for. It was like, right. this is a thing that doesn't look terrifying and people get paid to do it. Right. And then I just kept pursuing it because I'm, I'm very, I'm very dogged once I'm in a program because I'm slow to get started. I'm not terribly proactive, but once I'm in a thing, I'll keep doing the thing. So I just started pursuing it and getting the, the degree and lining up the school because that was the next step. And then, and then praise God, it's stuff I'm good at. So. Yeah. Very good at. Yeah. Yeah. So. so looking over, and this is, this is a very big picture question, but it's part of what, yeah. you know, m most people either struggled with or are looking back on when you look back at that whole picture of, you know, let's say 16 and before mm -hmm. of your, of your homeschool experience, what would you look at now and say, you know, these are, these are the negatives. These are the positives. I mean, for me, just the social interaction lack, right? So, and again, there's people in normal school settings who are very socially awkward and introverted and whatever else. So, um, so we don't always know ourselves well enough to know which is which, but um, there were a lot of places I was, poorly challenged in right so and and like one group I never felt connected to were my age cohort so I was great at talking to adults I was great at dealing with little kids um adults would always be like oh what a what a nice young man you are but I didn't know how to interact with that clump of teenagers over there you know what I mean oh I'm I'm curious and and I'm going to add some detail that I don't you haven't yeah. said anything about it yet but it's because I'm 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 curious because you know you you were in boy scouts with my brothers for yeah. a long time you were <laughs> you you guys were heavily involved with church stuff you were involved yeah. with a lot of different homeschool kids a lot of yeah, peers yeah. how is it that you you experienced all of this with all of these different peers and in boy scouts they were not christians a lot of the time yeah. um so you were exposed <laughs> and around a lot of that. How is it do you think that you came away with less of that social interaction or capability than, yeah. than you than you? I mean, I would say like at church, it was your brothers and I and everyone else was like the not so good kids, right? Okay. We were pretty isolated. We didn't um and I think this was probably an error, but my parents didn't have us join like the youth groups and stuff. Okay. And took us out into the main service, maybe in junior high. Um, so we didn't, I didn't get attached to my age cohort in church either. Um, when I was closer to high school, I, for some reason, hung out with some of the college people and in college age, I hung out helping with the high school people. I was always disjointed with who I was supposed to be with in a way and always wary of joining the group. Right. Um, in, in boy Scouts, it was kind of still your brothers and I being the good kids and a bunch of heathen weirdos. Um, so I still was isolated in a way, right? So that was in part finding a group of people I liked and, and really doubling down on that. And in part, maybe our parents not challenging us out of that. Um, though I remember at least once when they would try like, hey, why don't you go hang out with that kid at church? You know, whatever else. I'm like, because I have these two guys I hang out with all the time. Why would I do that? Right. I ain't got time for that. Right. <laughs> I, we, got, we got pointed out in a sermon one time because we were always clanned together, you know? <laughs> so... I, again, being a steady, faithful person, I walked onto my people and and maybe in part to protect myself from feeling scared about being different. We were good and homeschool was good and school was bad. 
know what I mean? And it was said in jest in part, but in truth in part, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I would make jokes like, oh, those normal school kids over there. Look at that school bus. They're a bunch of heathen evil or not even heathen, but just like, oh, they're bad. We're cool. So I don't again, how much of that was protecting our own psyche? Um, just being different. Right. And back in our day, you came up just a little bit later where there were more groups. So there was just less interaction for us. So we had group classes with two or three families. Um, I once did a like when I was 14 or 15 to the larger group class with maybe six or seven, eight families. Um, didn't do a lot of the conferences and stuff. So we do park day with three or four families, you know, so it wasn't a lot, I would say. What are some of the other ones? So that's obviously the social aspect. And, and, yeah. and, you know, that's, that was one of the big ones that was always talked yeah. about uh, as a concern. So, um, that's good. What, what are some of the other ones you look back on, you know, either positive or negative? Yeah, um, I would say tied back to that is like just being worried about social um, public speaking and that sort of thing. So I was just fantastically afraid of public speaking. And it's very easy to hide from that because we didn't have to challenge it very often. Um, and then we just didn't have many opportunities to to use that sort of skill set. We, we did a few group classes with some. Um, but it was something that was just terrifying and I shied away from as much as I could. Um, and I think, again, there's like that social navigation stuff, um, which again, goes back to the socialization. Um, I would say I had a few parts of my education that were really rough and never, the foundations weren't good, say with spelling. Um, partly because I kind of taught myself to read at some point and just took off. They didn't realize I didn't know how to read. Like I didn't know how to break down the words into components and I would just get the context and move on and I could read anything except I couldn't pronounce it or couldn't spell it. And so I had this like this hole in my education that I now look at. And even now when I'm spelling something, I don't use the rules to figure out the word. I just know it. Right. right. So, so if it's a word I'm not used to, even now it takes a second to kind of break it down. Um, and so that was something that wasn't identified well. And it goes back to my earliest Montessori you know, thing where I'm like chucked into something I, that made me panicked. And so maybe it ties in psychologically to that. I don't know. Um, so if, if there were gaps, sometimes they weren't maybe identified, right? Um, and if you were smart enough, you could get by and, you know, look as though it was fine. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> which is true of any, like my dad graduated at a normal high school without being able to read, you know, so it's not just homeschool that lets that happen. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, like he when we were kids, we were reading better than him. And he's since gotten much better, but he 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 got through Burbank High School somehow. And they graduated him somehow. And he, he could barely read because he probably had dyslexia as well. Mm. Um but yeah. So it's um so again, it, there were a few things where just like if the foundations weren't good, um it wasn't identified and picked out. And again, I don't know how much of that's homeschool, but so, so then moving on <laughs> to it's really more of you have your college years yeah um it's and because you had graduate school and everything you know i guess you're going like 17 to 26 or something i don't know I yeah don't know how long you were Linda, but yeah what what was the experience like because you didn't go to a you know a private christian school these were public mm -hmm. colleges junior colleges and things what what was that experience like? And specifically, it's it's really looking at you know when as you as you got into those, 
were you prepared academically? Did you feel like you were able to function in those environments? Was it a catastrophe? What were the goods and the yeah. bads of that sort of period of your life? Yeah, I think educationally, I junior college, it was fine. Like I and I was really, I had this concern that somehow I was probably behind. I'm like, in my heart, I knew three hours a day could not cut it. Right. Um, so I started junior college at 16 with some baseline fear in there. And then it was easy. Or I mean, not easy, but, you know, doable. So most classes were easy. There's a few that were hard, but, you know, passable. So educationally, we were fine. And I was just, I was, that was remarkable to me even then. <laughs> I'm like, how can you not pass these classes, guys? You just do the homework and turn it in. Right. Um, when we were kids, we generally learned to know a thing. So you would be filling out a test with blank spaces and writing in an answer, right? But in college, you just had a multiple choice, you know, A, B, C, or D. I'm like, all you have to do is learn to recognize it. You don't even have to know it. Right. So the level of understanding was just so much lower and stuff. So, uh, and then I'd read a lot and you're encouraged to think a lot. And so extraneous learning that happened elsewhere was pretty high. And I remember being in an English class and me and this other guy were talking and this little girl sitting with us is like, oh, I don't understand the words you're using. You know, and that was just based on reading and thinking and, you know, so educationally, definitely it was better, I think, or at least it was on par with the average junior college student. Um, and I was competitive and I, I would do pretty well and just, you know, it's, um, I didn't feel like I was behind on that stuff. Um, Except for, you know, spelling and writing being ugly, of course, but, um, but seriously, was, who needs, who needs to learn how to spell or write these days? It's kind of, your you know, there's <laughs> a, if I didn't have spell check and a computer, I'd be writing my first term paper. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. If I was on a manual typewriter without whiteout, I'd, I would still be writing it. Yes. So now there's a public speaking class and it was terrifying. And I think I, squeaked out of that one into something else. I learned to avoid these things that scared me instead of facing them. Um, which again is things I should have pushed through maybe, but I felt a little under prepped for, you know. And then just the weird stuff of like I'm sitting on a bench and a girl sits next to me and I pretended she wasn't there because I didn't know what to do about that. And like, well maybe she doesn't like maybe I'm reading here, so maybe she doesn't think I've seen her. Um which is not ter a terrible thing. Um, and it wasn't like I wouldn't talk to people. I had friends in class and would chat with them and stuff. But as far as like what to do socially, it just was, it took a little bit of time. It took me a couple of years to feel like I was stable socially. So that's, that's not uncommon. It's, I'm, just, yeah. I'm laughing because I'm thinking some of the, <laughs> the other podcasts I've already recorded. And so there's, it's so funny to have like, oh, the, there's these patterns and oh yeah i remember yeah. this person's story that was so similar and i was so that's yeah, why yeah. i sort of internally chuckling it it's yes. quite funny so which again i mean not being connected to your peer group in high school and college is not the worst thing because you know it's not the most moral group of people doing the most moral things you know and i i felt at the time like i'm made to be an old man like in a, a middle-aged man because i'm like i don't see value in getting drunk and stupid i don't want to sleep around with people so it isolates you a bit from what's happening, right? So, and not like in, in that in that context, at least, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of contexts that aren't like that, but yeah, since since a lot of the a lot of the world that you might be interacting with it is potentially like that, yeah, it kind of creates right. this dichotomy. 
and I may have just thought like, well, these people aren't a church, so they may all be doing these things and just not been as connected because they were just different, right? Um, but again, I mean, I had friends in class and we chat. So it wasn't like sitting in a corner or anything, but I wasn't part of any of the social stuff going on, nor cared to be. I'm like, I'm here for school. I have other things to do. Um, this is not, this is not where I'm staying, you know? <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah. It was funny. One of your, um, one of your, one of your last comments in the book was about not having a prom. Um, yeah. And nor would I have wanted one of, the, I mean, I was again, shy of girls and my personality is extremely, uh, like I'm a loyal person and I didn't want to get entangled in stuff. Right. Yeah. And my parents asked me to wait to date till I was like, I don't know, 16 or 18 or something. I decided to wait till I was in college because I wanted to know what life am I going to present to this person? Am I, what track will I be on? You know? And until I knew I'd have a track, I didn't want to share that with anyone. I didn't want to get stuck in something mm. that would, uh, and then not be able to fulfill it basically in a way. Right. Cause I, I knew that it, with my personality, I may not be able to get out of something bad <laughs> or and I didn't want to play with other people's hearts or, you know, whatever. So some of that was just me. Um, I don't know. So, and being shy. So I don't know how much it was me being shy and how much of that. Hey, Will. Hello, sir. Say hi oh, my up. gosh. Will is huge. Hey, Uncle. Well, hello, Will. Will is still in jammies because it's Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. Will, you are you say hi, twice. Hi. You're twice the size I remember you being. And you had long <laughs> hair the last time I saw you, too. So, Will, how old how old are you now? Seven years old. What? How is that possible? I know, right? That's it's nuts. Wow. Other people's That's... kids, man. Your your kids are in college, right? Uh, they're all gone and married. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're grandparents now. Yeah, time has gone by so fast now. No, but I did take reason. Reason reason can legally drive now, so that happened, which uh, is also terrifying. But anyway, Lily is still uh, waiting. Yeah. We we let her wait a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyways, I don't want to detract. Um, okay, so yeah. so so moving on uh into sort of the graduate school end of things, was it kind of the same right. sort of story? Yeah, I mean, actually graduate school was refreshing because I'd I'd been at Golden West for like maybe three years and it was secular, and Loma Linda is a religious school. So it's Seventh day Adventist, so they're they're not, you know, they're a little wonky as far as the denomination, but they are it was nice to be in a God-centered place without a lot yeah. of the extraneous kind of distraction stuff. So, and I, I honestly don't even remember why. It, wa it wasn't so much that hedonism was all over at, at junior college. It was more that the teachers were, <clears throat> generally speaking, atheistic. Hmm. And I would have to, I'd be challenged in classes and struggling against challenges to my faith and trying to understand things. And people, some of the teachers had an out, you know, they were going after your faith specifically. Yep. And that was stressful, right? So it was nice to be in a faith-based education again where that wasn't part of it, you know? Yeah, so. I, and I agree. I think it was exhausting to have to learn a academic topic and feel like you had to defend your personal right. beliefs at the same time. It it, it was so right. mentally and emotionally exhausting to do that sometimes. Right. So, And, and you're not really, I mean, honestly, we were much more prepared than most people because we had worldview classes and stuff. Um so I imagine without any of that foundation, it's just ripping your 
it's ripping your morals right out of you without a major defense, right? So, because I, I was on the rocks a few times intellectually, and then later, like, wait a second, that that chain of reasoning breaks over here, you know. But that person was going after your your thought processes and how you were how you were raised and stuff. So and and one of the the enduring memories is this lady trying to break down our faith. Um, she was wearing a green muumu in Birkenstocks. Had been getting her PhD since the sixties. And I'm like, what are you replacing this with? Do I have to buy Birkenstocks? Like, are you like, do I get your life if I change what I think? <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> it was just like the. It wasn't a better life. It wasn't a good life. It was just like, let me chip away at what you have. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then go into an internal cycle of learning stuff and not doing anything, you know? Well, it sounds like from what you're saying that, that those kinds of conversations actually ultimately s- strengthened or solidified your your belief system, whether maybe it altered it a tiny bit here or there or refined it. Yeah. It sounds like overall it actually was a good thing that you went through. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, but it was, it was scary at the time in sure. some ways. Um, but yeah, I think in it not being challenged would have been with its own kind of problems, I'm sure. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so then you get your, um, doctorate, right? You doctorate yes. in physical therapy, graduate. Yep. What sort of is the next phase? Like, I, I don't actually remember. I was trying to remember how all this happened. I don't even remember how you met Adrena. I don't remember. The, yeah, I was the um, married process. I don't remember when that even happened. I, I it's twenty yeah, yeah. something years ago now. I think. Right, weird, right? Um, I started dating her in my last year at physical therapy school. Okay. Um. So yeah, I finished PT school. I got my first job at Burbank. Um, went back. Actually, so I started. I was engaged to her while I was in my classes for my doctorate, which I did after the other program. Okay. So I was living in Burbank, driving to Loma Linda back and forth. Um studying for the boards and stuff so and then we were in Burbank just for a year and a half or so moved to Redlands for a while and just been working at different places since then but um but we got married we were engaged for dating for six months and engaged for nine months something like that so and she didn't she didn't come from a homeschool background she came from public school background um Christian school background um and she had she'd had I think one year or two of homeschool but it wasn't her main thing. So, so when she you was guys, exposed enough. Yeah. So she was at least familiar when, when you guys got married or, or were looking to marriage, did you guys have conversations about, you know, education in general for kids? Right. Did you discuss was homeschooling something you, you guys had considered maybe doing, not doing it was a yes, it was a no. I think by then I decided that my preference would be a hybrid. Okay. Just for that socialization aspect. Um, but I wasn't going to push anything on her. Cause I remember watching my mom, you know, go through binders and figure out schedules and work on grading stuff. And I realized yeah. there's a lot of like real work to it. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, if it's not me, I'm not going to force that on her because you really need to want to do it. Um. So Lily was in public school for a while. And then we tried her in a Christian school and went back at a public school. And I just remember feeling like I was stabbing her in the back because she was bored out of her mind, really creative, mm-hmm. just sitting there in a dull lecture was driving her nuts. And I'm like, feel like I'm shiving her in the back because I didn't have to do that and so but then Adrena kind of wanted to try homeschool at that point kind of of her own volition and then we got into homeschool hybrid at some point with Lily um, and then with COVID she was in a school hybrid which turned into kind of semi-homeschool okay. and now she's in public high school so the variations with her at least are all over the place 
Um, the two little ones were homeschooling with a uh, with a hybrid couple days a week. Okay. So, but I let that be her direction because again, she was going to be the one doing it. Um, and I know in in either case, homeschool has its advantages and disadvantages, but it's not to me. It's not a mandatory way to raise a child, but it's a good way for certain things, right? So. And you sort of identify, I mean, they're also different. Sometimes it's really hard to, in fact, it seems like in most cases, it's hard to have a cookie cutter approach right. because the kids are so different and the needs are so different that, right. um, and I think, I think our parents probably had the same issue was you try something going, this is what this kid needs the most. Now the next one comes mm -hmm. along and you say, oh, well, that doesn't quite work. <laughs> and you have to make an adjustment. And uh, I, right. I, I think we grew up with this impression that it's sort of a one size fits all to some degree within the homeschool world, but I think it doesn't necessarily work that way for everybody. And that's not necessarily right. a bad thing at all. It's just kids are so Again, different. I think we were, we were told it was better and it is in some ways. And I totally agreed with that. And then it's like, you, you do realize there's some cracks, right? I mean, it's not, it's not perfect for everybody. Um, it is adjustable. But the one thing you can't adjust for as much is the social interaction side of it. So, so, and Lily, Lily's super outgoing and stuff, and she's motivated by being around people more so than being by herself. Um, and she's in a, a school with an arts program, so she's around a bunch of weird drama kids, which she's she's got that funky side. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's so cool. She goes and does things she hates. She takes classes she doesn't like and does the homework so that she can be part of this group of weird people. So. And I think a lot of people would hear that. And the question would be, I mean, how is she, how are you as parents dealing with her being in a public school setting, dealing with the world peers in that right. context, in that setting? How are you guys seeing that come, come, come into play as she comes back into the house and into the home? Yeah. And it is, it is like, she had a pretty good foundation, I think prior to that. Mm -hmm. Um, but we get a lot of things coming from the world. Like, dad, why does this? Dad, why is that? You know, yeah. where she feels challenged. She's got a lot of peer pressure where she's trying to fit in. She's like, yeah, my friends know I'm Christian and they're cool with it. Um, but I also hear questions come out of her that I know have come from her friends or come from a public school environment about, about God or evolution or about whatever, right? So, yeah. Um, so my philosophy is to just discuss those and hear them and talk about them and break them down. Um, but it is, I mean, at some point you have to engage with the world and go through that struggle, right? So, yeah. Um, but it's, uh, you know, you try to try to have that moments where you teach them how to think and teach them. Like, I remember when he taught, we taught her from the beginning that Santa Claus wasn't real. And she went <laughs> through this very stressful period where all her friends thought Santa Claus was real. And I'm like, you know, they'll, they'll come around. Just, you know, different parents say different things, but you'll see when when you hit a certain age that it's going to be different and in part that was an object lesson of just because your friends think a thing it doesn't mean it's true <laughs> we had one of those james who's just this cute gentle sweet young little man and yeah. he had told one of his friends in the conversation across the street that santa's not real and we got a text message from the mother oh yeah um, and, and she was respectful but it was one of these can can you tell your kids not to destroy my kids dreams you know one of those and uh, and uh, it was so it was funny to go back and say, OK, James, just you, you have to understand not everybody has yeah. this. And there's value to having um, get, getting to Magic use your imagination. And yeah, this yeah. is, you know, and uh, it, the, it, anyways, it was funny, like oh, the kids are 
going and destroying other kids' dreams left and right. That's... And that was the part I didn't like. I, I'd gotten in trouble for getting or for telling my cousin when I was a kid. And so I, I knew that. And so I told Lily, like, here's what is true. But different parents decide when to tell their kids. And so just don't talk to your friends about it. And so I thought it was very reasonable. But what I didn't understand is how stressed she would be Yeah. in that situation of knowing she knew differently. And like, Dad, I, I talked to Susie and she said that Santa Claus wasn't real, too. And so I said, yeah, he's not real. And then she said she did believe in him. And I must have heard her wrong. And then and so she was like a spy, basically, at seven years old. And it was kind of stressful for her. And so I wasn't sure if it was the right play in the long run, to be honest. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't think that that part would be difficult. Um, it's so funny because it's the black and white. You know, when you when you have something that we present to kids, some things that are so black and white. This is right. This is yeah. wrong. Don't lie. Don't lie. You always tell the truth. Right. Oh, kids, it's okay to sort of not really completely be truthful right. in this area and and watching kids struggle but wait a minute what, but but I, I can't lie but i it's a so <laughs> I, I love i love those those are just fantastic yes um so this is this is much more this is sort of a, a much bigger picture question yeah. as you've looked back as you've grown up how did how did your relationship with your parents um how was it during the homeschool time and specifically it's mm -hmm. it's wondering how did how did you connect to relate with your mom how did you connect to relate with your dad right. and and did you see that there were either positives or negatives specifically that were coming out of the homeschool right. experience i know that's a big question but yeah yeah sure i would say that our homeschooling was very mom focused, right? Because my mom was on in the trenches on it. Um, so the figure large in my mind would be my mom, your mom, actually, right? Um, so I don't. Like, and so we, I very much identified with her and with her thoughts. Um, and my dad wasn't against those things; he just wasn't as involved. He was, you know, very much working. And then when he's home, he's doing projects and stuff. So he was a very busy person not out of our lives in any way, but just that part of it. I think because he wasn't, education was not a strong point for him when he was in school, um, that he was more physical, right? And so, so he was, again, he would help with things like, you know, like building stuff or whatever, science projects and things. But as far as, I mean, he would do cool stuff. Like he and Jason created like mouse wheels that would count things as the mouse turned it and stuff and record the number of rotations. And so, it wasn't out of the picture entirely, but day to day, he was not the figurehead there. So I don't think it affected my relationship with him much. Um, but again, thought wise, like I was very affected by my mom's view of the world because we were just in that view with her a lot of the time, um, which is no bad thing. Um, and then relationship wise, like I adored my mom. She's maybe I still have a slightly idealized view, but she's a good person. And I wouldn't say. I, mean, I'm, I definitely have my own views in the world and my own thoughts, but I don't think I've strayed terribly far from where we started. So, Are you talking about like theologically? Theologically or, or even just the way the world works, how to deal with people. I mean, she was the, the limiting factor with her. She was herself painfully shy, right? So that probably built into our issues as far as not being as exposed socially. Um, and she was painfully shy through going to public school, right? Um, 
but I, you know, I think I collected some of my paranoias about never wanting to call anybody and, you know, other things that she was really scared about. My dad was this just explosive barrel of lack of fear entirely. He'd dial numbers. He kind of half remembered to see who was there. <laughs> and I was like, I'd take two weeks to get up the guts to call someone I had to call for Boy Scouts or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very, very different. But, um you know, that's funny. I, I hadn't thought about that very much, but you're right. Thinking back, your mom was this sort of quiet, gentle, yeah. soft-spoken. Um, and your dad was just, he would just go and do anything. And just jump yeah. right in, right out in front, lead everything, right. direct, teach, run it. They were yeah. so different in those ways. I hadn't really <laughs> thought about that until you until you said that. Right. And so I, I really felt like I saw them in some form of conflict. Not like they were arguing, but I've just picked one to identify with right oh we were like my mom we read books a lot and there'd be kind of like a oh, oh dad doesn't you know, he's asking why we have so many books but books are awesome type of thing you know um so i definitely i would say that i geared more towards her as far as like oh this is what's good you know what i mean mm -hmm. um i've i still do a lot of things he did i picked up a lot of the woodworking and stuff so there was just different things i got from each parent but um i would say i kind of was like oh mom is right about this stuff you know over here so i don't know it's interesting my dad and i are we're very similar in some of the things we do but we're very different in our personalities probably um and in part it's it's probably reactionary he was really assertive i was very passive because you kind of have to be if you're up against a really assertive person or you're fighting all the time but i'm slowly becoming more like him as i age i'm gaining and finding that assertiveness here and there where i never had it and i'm slowly finding the ability to like push out and do things it just decades later so do you know why um i think just part of it's just experience right stuff i've had to do stuff i'm you know the i think we may have talked about this last time your mom i always felt saw potential in me right and uh, like oh we could write a book someday we could do this we could do that right i have like these ideas i'm like yeah you could do that and then I realized I haven't done any of them. So that as you're going through life, still, you know, providing for your family and doing stuff, you have these ideas and you're like, I could be doing more. I haven't fulfilled this potential or that potential. So that built over years and decades and then finally pushed me out to do like the small business I'm starting and stuff like that. Where you're like, I have to, I have to pay off on some of this potential. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you have, I have the ability to, to create. Yeah. I have the ability to create. I have the ability to make things. I'm not that dumb. Why am I not doing this? And I, I tend towards the passive, so it takes me a decade or two to ramp up. But that finally, that dissatisfaction with the status quo finally built. And then I'm like, all right, I have to do this stuff. I, so then I, I think, force myself. I think that's not <laughs> that uncommon as as people get into their, you know, late late 30s, early 40s. I think a lot of people, yeah. at least that I've talked to, that's and I had the same thing that you you sort of look back and you regret not risking or trying something, maybe right, or right. sitting on something and and at some point, yeah, you just you you recognize, yes, I'm a little afraid of something, <clears throat> either trying or failing, or I'm I'm afraid that it would maybe it'll actually work. But right, it is neat when you finally sort of say, you know what, let's let's try this, let's let's step and out so, of yeah, faith it, and give it a shot. And it's um the dissatisfaction is part of it, right? It's uncomfortable and it's supposed to be. And so you you'd think like at 39, I'm like, why am I not doing this? And then being annoyed about that for, for a few years is part of what drives you. So yeah. it's not a bad thing. As you <laughs> as you got into, I would say you're really looking at you know your later college years. Now you're married and and twenty something years. 
when you look at how you see your parents now, is is the relationship better or worse than it was kind of in that growing up in that homeschool context? My view of their relationship or my no, your, relationship? Your with relationship with them. Um, well, my mom probably about the same because I, I think it's good. Okay. Um, with my dad, better. Um, as soon as I was out of the house, he was really cool about like once I was on my own, he like didn't make me do stuff. Because my thing with him is like I'd be playing Legos and he wanted me to help him in the garage for six hours. Um, so I was always trying to run away from needing to do things I didn't want to do, you know, yeah. um, or being dragged into things that, that weren't my things. So, but as soon as I was my own man in my own place, he was like, he wouldn't assume things of me that I had to help him. He wouldn't assume, you know, and then mm. there was he a treated parody. you like a man. Yeah. And that's good. We, we, we work together now for, for fun, right? If I start a project, he comes over and helps with it. You know, yeah. um, if he needs help, I go help him or we build things together for the sake of building it together. And we enjoy that process. So that's definitely gotten much better. I remember being, you know, afraid of him in a way, because he's powerful and strong and assertive. My brother would argue all the time and I learned not to, I would just stay passive. And then um, I remember in my late teens, I started calling him Poppy instead of dad or whatever, just it's slightly diminutive, but it was an expression of like more of a comfort. Mm -hmm. And I would use it as like, you know, we're, we're cool. Like, Hey, Poppy, what's up? You know, um, oh, interesting. As I became more confident or less, less tentative. It was a term of endearment was, for you. Yeah. But it's also, it's also like a less respectful term, right? Um, which kind of was an illustration of the fact that I wasn't as nervous of it, mm -hmm. which is very meta, like, cause it, I wouldn't have expressed those things exactly at the time. Um, I could just kind of sense them happening. Right? Yeah. So now I'm, I'm old enough that I'll occasionally snap at him a bit. If we're like pushing something upstairs, I'm like, no, no, back, back. You know, like <laughs> if I have to say something I do. <laughs> and there's times where I'm like, dad, nope, put that like, like he's getting mean at someone on the phone or whatever. I mean, he's not a bad person, but he'll get frustrated. And I'm like, dad, dad, cool it, man. You know, it's like, Every once in a while, it comes out where I'm getting assertive back, and it's strange to me. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think, it's, yeah, I I think his respect for you guys is through the roof. So it it's it seems like that as things have changed in those ways. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, and I, I, I still would go to him before me for lots of things. You know, it's like I still rely on his opinion for a lot of things. Um, so yeah um but there's some things where we had an opportunity to work on a gentleman at church who was um ill and needed help walking so i just came over there and helped assess him and do some physical therapy stuff and my dad was like wow like you just you had a move in this way and it worked a lot better and like i learned this from you and it was just a neat moment for him to, to see the value in what i had learned and become and he was really happy about that so it was kind of fun so i, Pete, I don't know if people tell you this i think most people are really impressed with your ability like because I hear it from people. I've heard it since you were in college. And I, I think we're not a great culture at telling people when we admire something about them or mm -hmm. look up to something about them. But I, I hear that all the time from people that mm. you as a physical therapist and your knowledge and your skills and the things you were able to do for people have have been such an impressive thing. No, but I think part of it's also because you <clears throat> do it with humility. There's a lot of mm. times you can see people that do some really, really well in something. 
but the, the, the temptation allow your ego and your pride to, to mm -hmm. sort of match your skill le level level. Um, that, that seems very common, but you may well, feel different about that, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> well, when you're, when you're in it, you also know your failings, right? I can say all the big words, right. but I know what I don't know in that moment as well. Okay. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I think it's this, but I'm not sure. And I forget what that was. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. So back to, back to sort of a relational question, a uh, big picture again is, um, so you, you, your brother and your sister looking sort of the homeschool experience. And now right. did the homeschool experience help you guys in your relationship with one another? Did it hinder your relationship? Um, it's a good question. Like I imagine we were closer proximity when than we would have been otherwise um i also imagine that we had more conflict than we might have done otherwise if we were more separated um like my sister and i fought a lot at different points because we were always with each other and needing different things a little bit um again jason was so separated even at home together he was different doing different stuff most of the time um so i don't know that the school setting would have mattered to that I don't remember doing school with him ever, you know, I mean, not much anyway. Um, <clears throat> not once we were like at least preteen. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, Jason and I are now close. As soon as he moved out, we became much closer um, because we were less in each other's face and in each other's space. And then I had more distance and appreciated each other more. And now that we have kids of the same age. There's a lot more in common than the, there used to be. And so we really enjoy hanging out with each other. Um, Rachel and I, she's more physically distant, but we're a lot closer than we were, um, even a few years ago. So, so that's good. We call and talk, talk to each other. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that would have affected it differently, to be honest, not having had that experience. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to me that it doesn't necessarily, some, sometimes there's this drastic difference in the relationships that I hear right. from people. And then sometimes there's, there's, it's exactly the same. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, not knowing how it would have been different. I don't I know how to answer that. Looking at, I say, more focused on your time with the kids that you have now. Yeah. Are you seeing in yourself, do, do you see patterns emerge out of yourself that you, you, you don't want to see that have, that have come from the way you were raised? And it's really looking uh, at how you interact yeah. with your kids. You know, when you when you're talking to them and interacting, are you seeing anything from the past sort of that has creeped in? Yeah, uh, yeah. Every once in a while, I see stuff that would have annoyed me if my dad had said it that I say to my kids. Uh, <laughs> um, I think Adrian and I are somewhat chaotic organizationally, so you know, our house is a mess. We are not the best at organizing ourselves, and so that passes directly to our kids. And I don't know how much of that is homeschool related or just personality. Um, that's a battle my mom didn't fight with us very much. Like my dad would make me clean my room and stuff. And we it was something that we would try to do. But as long as we weren't doing the major bad things, there wasn't a huge focus on keeping everything perfect and spit spot. So. And Adrena, is, sadly for both of us, we're both a little chaotic. And so we would both like the place to be nicer, but we're both, you know, look around like, oh, how these piles get here? You know, <laughs> so your kids certainly aren't going to do that for you. <laughs> so, right. 
you have to become organized enough to force them to become organized and you have to be consistent enough to help them be consistent. So those are passing through and that's a sadness. Um, it's, it's there's it's a, a certain, a certain order to disorder as long as it's uh, loving. <laughs> it's funny. I struggle with that because I like, I like things organized, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> knowing how much of your, your kid's personality is actually coming out in what I think of as disorganization. Um, it's hard for me to gauge that. Like Luke is extremely brilliant. He's more like what adjacent, you know, he's he's building these functioning, fully functioning engineered machines out of Legos and his room is just a disaster, but he's like, you just built a combustion engine that works. And you (laughs) just built, he just built a five speed transmission that functions, you know, and his room is a disaster, but it's always tough for me to know. Is it okay to let them just be a mess? because he's learning, he's growing, or am I allowing him to have bad patterns growing up by having a messy room? I I always struggle with some of those. Yeah. yeah. And I probably, I probably think about him far more than I should, because I like to, I mean, it's, uh, what should I do? But it seems, it seems like a common struggle. Yeah. If I go back in time and magically have my parents discipline me more about structure, would I have an easier life in some ways? Yes. Right. right? So that's a gift you can give your kids, right? It's kind of like piano lessons. You would have hated them. Or I would have, but it'd be nice to be able to play piano, right? So if you have the ability to provide that to your kids and it doesn't completely go against what makes them cool, um, then it's a gift, right? So I don't know. Like Lily, her her gift to the world will be creative. She is a creative, interesting human being. Her gift will not be organizing things. And that's all right, you know, because if if I was going to double down on her strengths, it's to encourage that creativity. Um, but if I can give her some structure during the process, that'll be good for, you know, so I don't know. It is a very, it's an interesting topic. My two little ones are just engines of destruction. <laughs> and I, the person who doesn't care about order, come home and start cleaning stuff because it's so bad that it even trips my discomfort. I'm sweeping the Cheerios off the floor mm-hmm. and they'll come by and knock off the Cheerios. You know, the, whatever order you make will be destroyed the next day. And unless you're on top of their every movement, it's really hard to keep that out. So, um, so that's interesting. So, <laughs> Will is seven. Is Gemma yeah. four? Just turned five. Five. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Will, Will bizarre. is the primary destruction because uh, he'll do it out of energy. Like we have a townhouse, so he'll just start wiggling and wrecking things and breaking the doors off our armoire and not viciously. He's just exerting energy. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, sorry, afterwards, if you point out the fact that he's right. bent the hinge or whatever. So it's not malicious. It's just him yeah. being a boy. Yeah. 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 So so those kinds of things, because you, you're homeschooling them, are you guys struggling to find or have you been able to find opportunities and ways for them to be involved with things that help with getting energy out, with being rambunctious and playing and connecting with other kids? Yeah, or... I think they're in a... Uh, a hybrid thing so twice a week they're going somewhere okay uh, another one day a week they're doing like a forest friends group where they get together and play um what's wait what forest them. friends it's called forest friends it's just a it's a collective of mothers with their kids who just go out to parks and learn about oh, okay. nature and stuff okay so um so yeah but i mean will i think would be helped by a structured kind of sports environment not to be good at it i don't care if he 
does anything other than has a place to burn off steam. Yeah. Um, but at this point for Adrena, it's just not finding the time to structure all that is not something she's able to do. So there's what I think is good. And then what I'd like to put on my wife and they're not always yeah, the same. <clears throat> I, I think that's a huge issue as I've looked back and I've talked to joy about is to me, one of the things I think doesn't get talked about enough is, is what you're bringing up. It's the burden that is, mm -hmm. that is placed on or accepted by the mother and the, the, what it really takes for them to take on, not just the um, sort of the more technical responsibility of right. helping to figure out the academics and the books <clears throat> and a schedule and a process, you know, there's that. And that's a lot of work, but the emotional mental burden of, mm -hmm. of being the one that's now responsible for the children's education and, um, and even longer term looking and saying, well, if I'm, if I'm raising my child, if I'm the primary academic source, mm -hmm. then their ability to go to college is now really on my shoulders and, and how well I can do. And what right. about raising them so they get married? <laughs> and how is that all, you know, and I just, I think the older I've got, I look and I have a lot more um, sympathy and empathy for what the what the mother goes through, what the parent goes right. through, because I'm sure there's some circumstances where maybe the dad is doing that same thing, you know, right. It's a it's a heavy, heavy burden. I never really saw it that way until we got older when right. we had kids. And then, like you're saying, you look and you realize, wow, there's it'd be easy to say, oh, well, we our kids need this. Oh, our kids need this. Oh, our kids. Need... But what we're doing is here, here my wife take this on, make this happen, make this happen. And right. that can be a lot. That can be yeah. A lot. And I would, I'd help come in. And there was times where Lily would be homeschooling, but really just struggling herself through books mm -hmm. or through computer programs. And I would come in and help, help her understand things and try to get her back on track and stuff. But it's hard to like, especially with the two little ones running around, it was hard for Dana to really focus on her learning at different points. And then I remember as a kid, like often it'd be me with a book, figuring things out, you know, we do instruction if we needed it, but not always. So some people are self-motivated and self-directed, and that would be great. Some people aren't, and they need focus, you know. Um, but it's not easy. And it's time-consuming to do it right. So I don't know. I, I think our parents were very motivated to, to do it, right? And so they took on the challenge. And they're both, like your mom and my mom, were both very smart in their own ways. And so for them, they had a lot to give and a lot to share. Um, but not everyone's up to it, probably. <laughs> Though, again, I mean, honestly, the stuff you learn through middle school, how hard is it, right? It's <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and I think to some degree, the, the fact that they, they had each other, you know, I think the, yeah. the, the, there were, the, there were those, those few moms that, that were just, they did this together for so many years. <clears throat> I think doing yeah. this together is, is one of the things that made such a difference. And, and, and a lot yeah. of people, I feel like the mother's what the fathers are trying to do it by themselves as a family almost. Yeah. And, and, and not that they can't, but I just, um, I always remember it was always yeah. the families doing it together. And, um, right. I, uh, I appreciate that because there was this sense of, there was this sense of there's other families or in our case, there was like one big family doing it all together. Um, and right. I think that made a big difference for a lot of us. Yeah, for sure. And now, I mean, it's much more connected than it used to be. There's a lot more people doing it, a lot more structures to do it within churches that set it up or, you know, hybrid systems or co-ops or whatever. So there's a lot of, and tons more, you know, online-based teaching that's really pretty good, you know, learning 
through games or through uh, videos or whatever. So the resources are huge now. So. It is it is amazing because that's that's we've seen the same thing <laughs> that there are entire curriculum programs that you can basically say, oh, I'd like to homeschool and here's the age of my kid and here's the emphasis. Yeah. Okay, here's we're going to ship you everything you need, all your academics, your schedules, your plans, everything. Right. And it is a little bit crazy. I mean, when we started, I didn't realize but you, for your mom, it would have been the same, but it was basically still illegal for the most part when our parents started. Mm. And um, I didn't actually know that it was. Yeah, still, but I don't remember if it was. I didn't think it was illegal in California, but maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't quite at least when they first started. Maybe it was with the older yeah. with Chris. And mm, mm-hmm. yeah, it is so different in the last whatever, 40. Right. Hour, right. Hour old. I know. Right? It was certainly not as accepted and not as understood. And now everyone I talk to know someone who's done it or doing it or you know so it's not it's not it's not what it was so so the last last sort of area i'm curious about did you experience um and i think you hit on some of it but did you experience sort of a homeschool or spiritual ego in comparing yourself to other people yeah i mean again i don't know how much of it was just trying to justify the fact that we were different um, but definitely, yeah, I would drive around and see other kids in a school bus like, oh, they're in a school bus. They're regular school kids. You know, like it was a pejorative. Well, those are normal schoolers, you know. So I don't know how much of that was insecurity or how much of that was pride. You know what I mean? Did you have that? Did you experience the, the reason I'm asking specifically? Like, yeah. At, at church, I experienced that a lot where mm. um, in our high school group, there was the homeschool Awana group. Mm-hmm. And then there was the public school kids. And there was mm-hmm. two very, very distinct like factions groups. Or, yeah. yeah, basically, there were two distinct factions <laughs> that were in there. And so I was curious if you had anything like that. I mean, definitely, like in our church where we grew up, there weren't a ton of kids. And it was like me and your brothers. And everyone else was bad in my head, right? Um, and they were like, they weren't evil, but they would like prank call people and stuff. And I'm like, Ugh. you know, <laughs> um, but I was very not connected to those people. And so they weren't, we weren't benefiting from each other spiritually, right? So, um, so that's something I wouldn't do the same way. Um, but then also our parents are really trying to separate us out and keep us holy and not as much influenced by the world. So, I mean, there's a benefit to either side, but definitely, definitely there's a separation. Definitely there was a us versus them sort of thing. Um, and I don't know how much of that was imposed. I don't think it was stated, like you should view other people as horrible, but it was just, somehow like oh we're different so we must be better or different or you know whatever so and i was you know you're an apostle or a you're an apologist for homeschool how many times did you have to tell people why you were doing it why it was better why it was okay no we weren't rich and no you know um so you become an apologist professionally (laughs) so And, and and i think you're right i think to some degree there was this sense of having to um having to sell it yeah. So, so you, you people would find out and you'd have to, there's a reason why we're homeschooling through, Oh, well, we, it's a better, better academically. And right. that, that seems like that, what, whether you're intending that to be, Hey, this is truly better and we're smarter or, yeah. Hey, this is, this is the reason we're doing it. Don't look down on us. We're, right. we're pursuing something good, you know, that, right. We're I, selling it to ourselves half the time and selling it like, Hey, we're not, we're not weird. Yeah. Um, that's why I was so, wondering. Yes. Yeah, so it's almost passively. We don't intend to do it that way sometimes, but yeah. Um, 
So when you got into college, not junior college, but I'm thinking specifically because you, you like you and David became crazy good friends. He wasn't yeah. homeschooled. So, so yeah. some, something in college was enough that you were able to develop deep, meaningful relationships with right. non-homeschool people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, universities where I started lightening up a bit, I had a series of roommates that helped kind of um, break me out of my shell a bit. I started really trying to push myself out of my shell. Like I would take juggling beanbags to class and juggle on the brakes. Oh, I remember Just, this. Yes. Yeah. That's to right. do things to be in front. Not, I wouldn't stand on a stage or whatever, but I would just try to do things that were out of my norm and not being in the corner type of stuff. Um, David, honestly, he pursued our friendship and I was like, who are you? What are you talking about? You know? So it was honestly on him. Um, that he came up and really started our, our friendship, I would say. Um, so yeah, but very meaningful friendship there. Very cool guy. So yeah, I don't know. I think it just, that's when I just got more comfortable with other people, got comfortable with roommates who would like cuss up a storm and stuff. I went through a series of roommates that just were, you know, profane occasionally and then situationally and then like as punctuation. And I became very much like, I don't need these people to be me to be comfortable with them. They can be wherever they're at and it's fine. You know, so I learned a tolerance for other people's place in life kind of. Um, it wasn't as shocking or as like moral moral outrage you know and then i remember it was funny in college there's like there's a couple of people that looked homeschooled much more nerdy um <laughs> probably on the spectrum or something and we were standing in a circle talking about you know some of the kids in my class were like oh yeah this person's weird and that person's weird they were homeschooled i'm like oh yeah i was homeschooled and they're like well but, but you're normal i'm like wow thanks guys Woo, i've never been normal before you know <laughs> so i could pass it off pretty early but i knew i was different you know what i mean um but you could you could, i could felt pretty normal-ish on most situations it's just again it's the bigger group navigation stuff that i just felt a little awkward in but it seems like a lot of it also just i think you alluded to this that it's sometimes just the experience of being in those circumstances when you, you yeah. get more and more familiar more and more comfortable with it and it gives you a sense right. of confidence that uh, maybe i do fit in a little more than I would have thought, or maybe I can adapt, or maybe I, I can participate without feeling like an outsider. Or yep. we we get, we grow more accustomed and more familiar with those things, I think, because it becomes easier and easier. So. Yeah, and it's it's just yeah, taking on and not avoiding the challenges, and that's that's where I would avoid things that scared me, and not get better at them. Basically, public speaking, even you know, singing in front of people. I was forty-one when I did my first solo thing. It scared out of my mind. Was that the but one then at I'm church? Like, yeah. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I didn't die. Right. Your body feels it's, it's a real sympathetic, you know, fight or flight response. You, you feel like you're about to die. And it's actually my perspective is that there is a form of social death that you're afraid of as real as physical death. It's like being on the edge of a cliff. You could fall off and, and die. You should be nervous on the edge of a cliff. If you are looking like an idiot in front of 100 people, that could break your social standing, right? And so it's as real and as scary, but you hang yourself out there a few times and do it. And then you're not as scared. You're like, oh, okay, I hyperventilated a bit, but I made it and I can do it again if I have to, you know, yeah. there's no way to get better at it other than to face the fear and get better at it. <laughs> I, no I agree. It makes it go away, you know? 
Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I think, I think the, the older, the, the older I've gotten, the more I, I see it very similar. We actually have these, we, we see ourselves a very particular way and our personal mm -hmm. identity is wrapped up in this sort of mixture of fears and anxieties and confidences right. and experiences and skills. But, and not wanting but, to expose those fears either. That, right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Because that's part of the identity. So I, I think what you just said right. is really correct because in order to do something we're afraid of, what we're really doing is offering up a part of our persona or what we right. perceive to be our persona to somebody else to be either shattered or embraced. Right. Either one is terrifying. And so, right. um, but so good because you're either getting rid of a lie or you're embracing a truth. Right. So, uh, but nonetheless, ter <laughs> terrifying. terrifying. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, the, and the worse you are at it, the, the longer you've avoided it, the more your handshake when you're up there speaking, the less you want to oh show that gosh. you're weak. And so yeah. it just compounds, right? So um, I had one patient of mine who was a, she was like a presidential teacher of the year type thing or whatever. And she had all of her little grade school kids do speeches every week or whatever it was. So they're not, they were never afraid of it. You know what I mean? Or at least compar comparatively so. <clears throat> so, I mean, again, you have your tuning, who, who you're meant to be, how much you prefer the limelight, and then you have your experiences, how much you've challenged that. If you can challenge it before you know better and consistently do so, that's not the same, right? So that's something that wasn't provided for us in the setting we were in because of the structure of the setting we were in. Um, and it in tune with my weaknesses it just was something that is easy to avoid and then left that weakness there so, <clears throat> so anyway. you, you seem pretty normal now i think it <laughs> like i'm I, it's funny because i'm i talk to people all day long like i, I see 20 some people 20 to 30 patients a day that i sit down with for 15 to 20 minutes half an hour and i chat with all day long yeah so i do small talk all day long but if you put me in a room with all those people at once, I wouldn't be as socially competent. Right. And I think partly I'm a natural um, chameleon. I move to where that person is. We agree on most topics. I change who I am and how I react to that person. I can't do that to five people at once. Right. You know what I mean? So so once there's other people viewing you, like, well, I, I can't take your opinion because now I'm going to be judged by that opinion. And then, you know, yep. so it's, I'm a social pleaser a people pleaser and it gets harder the more people there are something like that i don't know but it, it's ironic you bring that up because that that exact sort of description is what i what i've also experienced was mm -hmm. it, i was very good at sort of being a chameleon in a group mm -hmm. but as i got older and i realized that that it was really more masking what i was afraid to reveal to people mm -hmm. being in a large group is one of my, I, I hate it. I hate being in mm. large groups now. It was such mm -hmm. a comfortable way to um, sort of show your identity that you wanted mm -hmm. people to see all at the same time. Mm -hmm. But um, when you don't want to and you want to be more authentic, it's almost impossible to do it in a large group because you're, still, right. you know, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's weird. I was watching comedians in cars getting coffee with um, Jerry Seinfeld or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he has different comedians and they discuss, they're not always doing funny stuff, but they're discussing humor and yeah. comedians. And they'll like, you're like, it's the worst thing. You're in a room full of comedians because they each come up and do their bit. Yeah. Like they don't know how to know you. They're, they're performing everything and they, they have their bit and they move to the next, you know? And so like, how do you really relate to that person? How do you stop performing and be a person to that person? Yeah. So.
So that's interesting. I, I relate to some of that, but, but I do like people and I like hanging out with them. It's just in larger groups. I'm still not my favorite sort of setting. Well, I appreciate it. I, I, I do, <clears throat> I do have to say that when you hear this podcast, one of the things that you're going to have to sort of take note of is you have a um, unique self-narrating voice you go to when you're narrating yourself <laughs> in the past. So um, as you're listening, because everybody's going to notice it when they hear it, yeah. they'll be like, you have this voice you go to every time. And it's kind of funny oh, yeah. to me. <laughs> so now that I've pointed it out, everybody's going to go, what? That's right. That was there. Um, <laughs> I would not be surprised. It, it fits <clears throat> with the, it fits with the sort of feel of the the story you wrote originally. Cause it was always, it was very humorous. It was whimsical. Yeah. It was, that was, that's just always that's, uh, that's, that's are, me so. I, your your brother and i read too much dave barry and your kids and it screwed up our humor <laughs> I, I don't know that that's the right way to say that but <laughs> well yeah it, it, it influenced our humor drastically drastically uh, yeah yeah but i love it so well mike i appreciate it i i didn't mean to take you for so much time but Dude, i uh that awesome. was very nice to catch up and and learn some new things about your experiences that i didn't know cool man Yep. I appreciate it. Say hello to the rest of the family and uh, right. look forward to catching up again soon. Cool, brother. All right. Take care, sir. All right. God bless you, man. You too. Bye.